It was actually Ian Bremmer's Twitter feed where I came across the meme of, I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the free seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. Uh, I follow Ian Bremmer's Twitter feed on a fairly regular basis. We've had him on at the in the January of a year for years now, as usually he's got his global risk list out. I was fascinated by something Ian Bremmer um, had a while back on how there were a bunch of things that you know were likely going to happen anyway. They got sped up because of the coronavirus, and one of them is our crumbling relationship with China. But anyway. Ian Bremmer is indeed the president and founder of Eurasia Group, a political research, risk research and consulting firm that uh, consults all over the globe. And Ian joins us now. Uh, good morning or good day, sir. How are you? Happy 2021. Good to be back with you guys. Hope you know Thank well. you. It's it's always stimulating, and I will say the global risk list is incredibly thought-provoking this year, even by the standards of previous years, and we will get to that in a moment or two. Yeah, um, I was fascinated by your take on a lot of things that were going to happen anyway over a long time got sped up by the coronavirus. Can you give us an example of a couple of those? Sure. Uh, I mean, the U.S.-China confrontation, the lack of trust, uh, their growth, uh, all of that has been going on. The uh, the disruptions that have come from technology, both in terms of our lives and social media and the polarization that comes from that, but also in terms of people that aren't in the knowledge economy no longer having anything productive to contribute um, to capitalism and and the disenfranchisement that comes as a consequence. Uh, climate change uh, and, and the move uh, away from fossil fuels. I mean, all of these things trends that were coming accelerated dramatically yeah. on the back of coronavirus. One of the topics we talk about a lot around here, and it's it's difficult to predict, obviously, because change keeps uh, coming, but what's going to happen to American cities, commercial real estate, uh, in the wake of the COVID thing? We have multiple friends in multiple industries who say, not only do we not need office space anymore, we've seen our people's productivity surge yeah, um, there are a lot of uh, the CEOs I talk to of big companies uh, are all experimenting. Uh, so they will they'll try some hoteling and they don't, you know, where you get people to come, you know, in maybe two days, three days uh, a week. Uh, some of them trying, you know, virtual completely with a bunch of their teams. But let's keep in mind a couple of things. First of all, if you're a big bank and um, you're virtual completely and you lose big pieces of business, to the guy that is down the street and out hustling you and sending his people in person, uh, you're not going to be virtual for much longer. That's number one. Uh, number two is uh, when your people are virtual and you used to be in New York City, uh, they may be equally productive, but you will no longer be willing to pay them New York City uh, rates, salaries. And if someone can do their job as easily um, an hour away, uh, they can probably do their job as easily in the Philippines. That's a very um, good point. Or in Brazil or in India. And, and I, I think we have to understand that the disruption that is coming from the virtualization, the disruption is coming from happening. And, of course, that's going to transform commercial real estate. But I don't think that's by anywhere close to the biggest thing that's coming. We're talking with Ian Bremmer. Before we get specifically to your risk list, I saw you tweet this yesterday, and I just want to know what you meant. You tweeted out the business model of social media companies is incompatible with a healthy civil society. Explain that. Well, because the the business model of social media um, is to maximize uh, the eyeball attention that they get in order to sell advertisements. 
And um, that means, and the way you do that is by productizing the user, you and me. And when, when you do that, the most effective way to do it is to polarize. The most effective way to do it is to let all the trolls on because you want to maximize the eyeballs. It's to have uh, more disinformation. The, the, it's not that Facebook um, doesn't care uh, about disinformation on their site. Actually, it's kind of intrinsic to their business model. It's not that Twitter doesn't care about trolls and bots on their site. It's intrinsic to their business model. It actually drives a lot more people. It drives a lot more eyeballs. So, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't continue to have them, but it means either the business model needs to change away from advertisement. You have to charge, you know, a fee for subscription, uh, which would make it very different in terms of improving and enhancing the user experience is the first and foremost thing you're doing, and or you need to regulate it. But the model as it exists right now is antithetical to a healthy, functioning civil society. And we are experiencing that in a very big way in the United States. I I personally truly believe that the vast majority of people that rioted and, and stormed the Capitol just 48 hours ago believed a number of things about fundamental politics in the U.S. that were completely untrue. Oh, yeah, the poor Just woman that got... Weaponized disinformation. The poor woman that got shot dead. I don't know if you went through her Twitter feed, but she, I mean, her her news feed was different than mine. Right, and it strikes me, in from your description, that social media is pornographic in the in the broader sense, not just sexual pornography, pornography, but ideological pornography, just constant conflict, uh, anger, that sort of thing, because that's the most titillating. But having said that, and uh, and uh, having mentioned yesterday or the other day's uh, craziness, I know the Eurasia Group's top risk for 2021 was already the fact that uh, about half the country rejects the president of the United States. Um, uh, how do you think the recent events might have affected, uh, if you were rewriting the risk list, uh, your description of that risk? Oh, man, I mean, the pushback that, that I got and we got in the 48 hours after we launched the risk report was how can coronavirus not be number one? And, and my response was pretty simple. I said, we've got vaccines for coronavirus, thank God. We don't have vaccines for polarization in the United States. Uh, all, all, all we have is more political pornography. All we have is people getting more divided. And uh, and I am disappointed with you guys that you threw out that political pornography thing and you didn't actually go any farther with the metaphor. Right? Because usually, you guys are good for that kind of thing. I mean, Meet is, me for cocktails. I'll, I'll, I'll go farther than you want. Hardcore. This is hardcore pornography. It's not the kind of thing you want your kids learning about. So... You know, and and I, I also do think it is relevant that since we're getting back to the social media stuff, that um, that the the executives of these companies who want to maximize the time that we all spend on them, they they don't let their kids on these devices. Yeah, that's right? interesting. Isn't it? Could could anything be more they, telling they than that? No, they absolutely know. Yeah, yeah, that's a real problem. Oh gosh, your your third risk: climate net zero meets G zero. What? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm actually more optimistic right now about um, the planet being able to address climate change than I ever have been uh, in my life. 
the the election, which uh, because of coronavirus, no more Trump. He would have been reelected if it wasn't for the pandemic, in yep. my view. Yep. You get Biden, massive focus on climate as a consequence. Kerry is the most important appointment he has. All of the European stimulus is oriented towards sustainability on the back of coronavirus. That's a really big deal. The Chinese don't want to be left out. Xi Jinping moving in that direction. The new Japanese prime minister, same thing. We really are taking steps that make it more possible that we don't have three or four degrees centigrade of warming. That's a very big deal. But that's that's the net zero piece. It's less carbon into the atmosphere. But the G zero piece is we are living in a world that's incredibly political divided and doesn't have global leadership. It's not a G7 or a G20, it's a G0. And so what it means, I mean, for all of these years, you'd have people saying that if we could just focus on climate, we'd come together, right? We could all save the planet, we'll save the whales, we'll plant the trees. That's not gonna happen. There's actually gonna be a lot of competition and confrontation over climate, over who has the resources, who gets the resources, who dominates the new technologies for energy. I mean, you know, the United States has, over the last 10 years, worked hard to become energy independent in oil and gas. Now that we're getting away from fossil fuels and we're focusing on things like solar and wind and the rare earth metals we need for electric vehicles and their batteries, you know who dominates all of that? China. All of it. And they're putting a lot of money in. And this is actually going to drive much more confrontation between the Americans and the Chinese. So you've got net zero, which is positive. You've got G zero, which is negative, And they're coming together. Uh, you have U.S.-China uh, tensions uh, as number four. And we could talk yeah. all day about that. And I'm fascinated with that whole story. Jumping around a little bit. I just wondered, you've got uh, the cyber tipping point. Um, on here. I'm wondering, you know, we had that big attack recently. At what point does a big cyber attack start getting treated like a military attack and responded, uh, you know, in, in the same way? Well, not when it involves only espionage, when it involves uh, the Russians inside uh, all of our institutions and stealing information. And part of the reason for that is because we do that to them. So that's already going on. I mean, how good the, at it? How, how good at it are we? Are we are are we better than everybody else, or at least as good as China and and uh, and Russia and everybody else? Well, we never admit this stuff, but whenever you have the conversations with the people that truly do understand it um, inside the U.S. government, uh, they they certainly are not bashful about American offensive capabilities. The problem is that we don't have defensive capabilities, and that's being shown to be the case on a daily basis. And we also don't have much capability to deter. Um, and so it's not like, you know, mutually assured destruction where the Americans mm-hmm. and the Soviets had all the nukes, but we knew that if we used one, it could blow up the world. I mean, here, the Americans, the Russians, the Chinese dominate cyber offensive capabilities, but we can't prevent each other from using them against each other. And, and when it would become a war is not the kind of attacks that you've seen in the last weeks announced, but rather, you remember the attack on Ukraine a couple of years ago that was the reverse-engineered, the NotPetya attack, that was a reverse-engineered NSA uh, malware, piece of malware. And that wasn't espionage. That was actually going in and breaking critical infrastructure in Ukraine. And then it got out of Ukraine and cost billions of dollars of damage for companies like FedEx Europe and Maersk and others. Um, If that were to happen at scale... Uh, I think that could lead to escalation where a lot of people could die. That's that is, And that is certainly becoming a greater danger over time because 
that Russian attack on Ukraine wasn't meant to get outside of Ukraine. It just did. Mm. And so the lack of deterrence also means there's a lot of danger when you're operating this stuff. Ian Bremmer is the president and founder of Eurasia Group. The uh, global risks list for 2021 is out. Ian, if I were to go back to grad school, uh, number one, I'd yell at the professors and call them Marxists and be expelled immediately. Uh, but if somehow they tolerated me and kept me there, I, I would love to study uh, Central and South America and and why it hasn't emerged as a uh, an economic and political power and I, I keep waiting for it i keep waiting for the us to really turn its attention to our neighbors um and i know that uh that latin america is on your list of risks what's going on there well you know uh it's not like latin america is not growing and uh, a robust middle class across latin america particularly brazil the largest economy truly has been a success story um but uh, a lot of mismanagement and a lot of frustration as their middle classes get bigger that um, that their uh, their services aren't very good, that the kind of social contract that a lot of people come to expect, whether it's, uh, you know, good mass transit or effective policing or education that is affordable and high quality, they don't have these things. And coronavirus is making life a lot worse for them because in the United States, we're going to roll out these vaccines this year. And once we get 10% of the population vaccinated, our mortality rate's going to go down by 90%. That's going to happen by the end of first quarter. That's a big deal. That doesn't happen in Latin America until later in the year and in some cases next year. So they're going to have big impact on that. Still like major new waves of coronavirus, a lot of people dying. But they can't shut down the economies because they don't have the fiscal flexibility to pay for lockdowns the way we do in the United States or in Europe and Japan. And so, you know, what happens when that occurs is that the existing governments, whoever they are, left wing or right wing, are blamed. And so you get this whipsaw in anger on the streets spilling out. That's happened in the last year in Chile and in Peru could be a lot broader across Latin America. And I was very concerned that in Brazil just two days ago, the Brazilian president Bolsonaro was pointing to what happened in the United States in our capital and said this could happen in Brazil. And here's a guy that is absolutely prepared to weaponize using social media disinformation and claim that he has won the election if he doesn't. And and you could easily see what played out in the United States play out in Brazil with a lot more violence. Biggest economy in South America. Welcome to 2021. Ian Bremer of Eurasia Group, the top risks of 2021. It's always fun. Let's uh, talk again soon, and, and we'll try to be uh, more outrageous and entertain you better. I appreciate that, gents. Uh, call whenever. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, I feel got, like we bored the great man. I got some comments on <laughs> serious some, times. Damn it! I got some comments on some of that stuff, but we got to take a break. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ian Bremmer was cussing like Tommy Lasorda, if you were listening online. He uh, (laughs) did drop an S-bomb. Tommy Lasorda, the great, the Dodger great has passed. He spent over 70 years in the Dodger organization. Isn't that amazing? What? That's a typo. Well, sports was so different then. You know, you stayed with the same team forever, Um, a lot of people, and, you know. 
and you got abused for it often. He <laughs> got underpaid. But, uh, you know, through player and all kinds of different manager stuff, he this over 70 years, and Tommy Lasorda has died. When I was a kid, he was, you know, one of the... Um, one of the great colors of Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. One of the great personalities. Really in America. Passed away at the age of 93. Hell of a guy. Hell of a man. Hey, I got a question. So I, somewhere, signing up for something, or who knows how, I now get all kinds of spam texts that I didn't used to get. Yeah. Obviously, I was getting the spam calls and the emails like everyone else, but I had never gotten that many spam texts. Now I get them all the time. I always take the time to go into the info and block it. But I have the sense that it's a computer that just sends me another text, like one number different than that one. Yeah, is it some some computer thing? I have a feeling. I'll I'll use me as an example. Uh, I have a feeling they're ahead of me in terms of uh, you know how to prevent that sort of thing. I've outsmarted you. I'm blocking you. I so, guess I I find myself going through uh, peaks and valleys of those sort of things. Like on on, on a given week, I will get. Uh, maybe a couple of day for several days in a row. I block all of them just like you do, and then it kind of tapers off, and then mm-hmm. I'll go through several weeks without any. Because right now I'm getting just a, a, a barrage of diet ideas on my texts, and I, for some reason the text seems more violating. I'm, we're all used to the emails, right? So that doesn't even doesn't even raise an eyebrow. But the text, no, that's where I get the personal conversations with friends and family. Not well, maybe, the text line. You've sullied the text line. Maybe you just sat on your phone in your back pocket and realized how fat you were. And it's <laughs> it is a know, smartphone. It put the word out. Armstrong and Getty. Hey, honey, do he ask me if I ever been to arbitration? I said every day with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and she always wins. But I'll say one thing. When I do go to arbitration with her, I always get the last word in. Yes, dear. <laughs> Tommy Lasorda, who is kind of the Charles Barkley, the first Charles Barkley. Uh, Tommy Lasorda, manager of the Dodgers, has died at the age of 93? Yeah. Wow. We have more Tommy Lasorda. I'll say one thing about Ritter. You look exactly as you did the first time I met you about 13 years ago. You looked bad then, and you still look bad. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, and I just that just occurred to me. He was the the, the Charles Barkley of that era. You just said whatever the hell you wanted, but for some reason, the way you say it doesn't get you in trouble. It just it's it's very similar to like Don Rickles, right? Yeah. Like he 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 could just roast you, and you just laugh the whole time. Well, right, Tommy Lasorda, big bellied Italian guy, big booming voice, just constantly laughing. And how could you not laugh along? <laughs> you haven't changed a bit. You look the same. You look terrible then. You look terrible now. <laughs> Another one. I like to see them have fun. I I like to see them laugh in the clubhouse. I like to see them play jokes on each other because I believe that laughter is the food for the soul. When you laugh, you forget whatever problems you may have. But when we come out here between these two white lines, then is when we go like bulldogs, you know? That's it. Spread out. God damn, if they drop a bomb, they'll get half of my ball club. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got one of the great Tommy Lasorda classics coming up. Uh, we'll play for you next segment, in which he drops so many bad words, so many swears. We wore out our bleep machine. Um, so back to serious stuff briefly. I think this is really interesting. Watching the people that invested a lot of political or personal capital in Donald Trump who have decided, all right, that's it, I'm out. 
in the last 48 hours is really interesting. Here's Lindsey Graham yesterday on the uh, Senate floor. All I can say is uh, count me out. Enough is enough. And when it's over, it is over. It is over. That was Lindsey Graham. You could hear it in his voice. That's a guy who's invested a lot of energy and political capital, as I mentioned, in supporting Trump, who's like, all right, that's it. And damn it. Damn it. After all that. Right. I'm looking at this on the Twitter feed. Scott Adams, the Dilbert creator. How many times has he gone to bat for Donald Trump in so many different forms? Uh, he's gone way way on out on Trump's side. He's right. gone way out on a limb on Trump's side. And I'm sure it cost him money and friendships and all kinds of stuff. And he tweeted today, today would be a good day for Trump to resign. Wow. Wow, that is striking. I see Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, has resigned. Mm-hmm. Secretary of uh, Transportation has resigned. Nancy Pelosi has threatened impeachment if Trump doesn't resign immediately. I really respect people giving their two weeks notice Two weeks before the job is done. I think that is great. <laughs> I, I, there is some level of me that ju- that just makes my soul sing. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, Mulvaney, who was his chief of staff, he resigned, like, fast. He was the first one to resign, I think. But he said he's had some conversations with other people that are staying because they want to be close to Trump while he may be acting crazy. Now, yesterday, Trump came out and gave a speech and said... The election is over. I accept the results. We're going to focus now on the transition to Biden. He said all the grown-up stuff you should say. So to me, that was an indication. Okay, he's not completely lost his mind. He's not, you know, um, he's not intent on on on, on completely burning it down on his way out the door. Definitely tap the brakes in terms of us going off the side of a cliff uh, as a country. Right. You've explained legally speaking how the. Uh, 25th Amendment doesn't apply to this situation? Yeah, I mean, that would be a gross misuse of the constitutional provision. That's supposed to be for a president who's incapacitated, not for a bad president or a president with bad judgment. It's He's unconscious. He's had a stroke and is clinging to life. This would be a terrible abuse. Impeachment, on the other hand, they could get done in a few days. We have a process for unfit for office, and it's impeachment. Right. And honestly, if you think what Trump did the other day, which was whipping up a crowd essentially to go after Pence while they were in the Capitol having rioted, um, if you think that's impeachable, and and most people do, and honestly I do, uh, that's precisely what impeachment is for. That's precisely the sort of thing impeachment is for. So this 25th Amendment stuff is just silly. It'll never happen. How fast could they do impeachment if they wanted? You know, I don't know specifically, but because there, if they could get unanimous consent or two-thirds or whatever, they could suspend rules in the Senate. I don't know precisely. Senate rules are arcane, obscure, and, and occupy many hundreds of pages. Well, the House is talking about not moving on impeachment until next week, middle of next week. So why is the House got to move so slow? I don't know. I have no idea. Or or are they not? See, I, I'm very cynical about politicians. Sure. I think they're going to do what they think is in their best political interest, not what is in the best interest of the country. So they're calculating this. I, I don't I'm not sure Nancy Pelosi thinks impeaching Trump is the best way to to handle the situation. I think if I'm a Democrat, I want Trump out there able to talk about running for the nomination again scaring off some potential rivals all that sort of stuff i think he i think he mucks things up for the republicans um i think getting completely off the table if i'm a republican i would want that 
<laughs> so now, now that you don't have that at all. Right. So, so I'm not sure Nancy Pelosi wants him impeached. So she might be dragging her feet until it's just... Because, I mean, if they started the middle of next week, okay, now you're six days away? You're seriously racing the end of the term. And I for mean, what like, reason? to the hour. Yeah. So he can't run again. And to, to administer a sanction for an offense... Just put that down in history for the first time. A president's been impeached and removed. Mm, could be. Uh, yeah. Um, and undeniably, and you have to keep this in mind, even as a conservative, and, and there are plenty of people who think, no, you don't have to keep it in mind. Just just do what you need to do. The Trump loyalist voting block is still of significant enough size. I mean, the hyper-loyalist voting block. You have to tread at least a little carefully, maybe respectfully, with the guy. The best you can. Try to thread that needle. And so there are plenty of Republicans who think, no, no, I don't want to vote for impeachment. Let's just let it let's let it go away. It'll be in the rearview mirror soon. They have the same attitude that you do toward like uh, road ragey drivers. Don't engage them. Just let them go and you'll never see them again. Avoid the fight. Well, we'll know soon, I guess, whether they are serious about moving toward with impo- forward with impeachment. I don't know how complicated a vote that would be for the Republican senators. I mean, we know a handful that Ben Sass said he'd be willing to vote for removal. Uh, Lindsey Graham, based on what he just said, I don't know. Obviously, Mitt Romney would be. I think Ted Cruz may be done. As a you asked me that yesterday, whether his career is uh, is quote unquote over, whether the upward trajectory is turned into a downward trajectory. I think I, I would say yes at this I point. Certainly think so. We shall never surrender. Josh Hawley is toast. He had a book coming out, and his book publisher yanked it. Yeah, Simon Schuster said, never mind. His biggest donor put $2 million into a pack uh, to get Josh Hawley elected, said he's a political opportunist. uh, opportunist. He's uh, uh, abusing the Constitution, and I'm uh, uh, ashamed or regretful that I helped get him elected. He is, to me, he's the Republican version of, like, an Adam Schiff. You just are cynically doing whatever you think will get you to that next level. Pretending various things. Because he doesn't, he doesn't believe there was a landslide win for Trump. He doesn't believe that. You got yeah, the but, smallest, thinnest neck I've ever seen. And Adam Schiff knew people weren't going to be uh, sent to jail and indicted over... Uh, Trump was working with the Russians, but he continued to go with it. Uh, Ben Sass, who uh, I really admire, incredibly smart guy, reasonable patriot senator. Um, He criticized Josh Hawley of Missouri uh, rather uh, caustically. Senator Hawley was doing something that was really dumbass (laughs) that helped incite the crowd that mobbed the Capitol. Um, It was funny. I heard that interview and I thought, did he just say he did something dumbass? It's usually, you usually don't hear that as an adjective. It's hmm, always a noun. Well, I'm from the same part of the country as him, and that that's a common way to say it. Oh, okay. Where I grew up, and he's as from an Nebraska, adjective. and I'm from Kansas. Yeah. That was dumbass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Did you see the near fist fight on the House floor in the middle of the night? Yeah, but the video wasn't very good. Yeah, you told me about it. Unfortunately, the, the fight happened on the other side of the, the, the House camera. So all you have is the descriptions of people. But there was a bunch of House members that ran over there thinking, this is going to turn into an actual fight. We need to get over there. 
Nancy Pelosi is the uh, the ancient witch is banging her gavel. Ah, order, order! But that wasn't going to stop two guys from throwing dogs. But a no. bunch of other big dudes ran over there. Hey, and... You hear her? She's banging her gavel. We should probably stop. Good morning. Feelings were a tad raw there at 3 a.m. in the Capitol, <laughs> which I can understand completely. People started to get mouthy. Other guys resented it. I wonder how safe the various House members felt, for instance. So I got to believe there's a bunker underneath that building, especially post 9-11, that yes. can withstand freaking anything. Yeah, if you can get people there. Uh, and I imagine they have a decent plan, although the failings of the Capitol Police, it's becoming more and more clear. This is not like a, a partisan issue or some people think this, some people think that. No, it's nearly universal believing that this was a disaster. Oh, hell yeah. Can you imagine a, a terrorist group seeing this oh, and Al- thinking, wow, I thought it was like hard to take over that building? What if one of those persons had a, a thumb drive with a spyware and they're, they're sitting at Pelosi's oh, desk? Just put that right. They, yeah. The potential for disastrous things was there. Al-Qaeda had to see this and think, you mean we could have had a hundred guys run at that building at one time and gotten clear into it? Wow. Yeah. Yikes. It is. It's it's, it's stunning. And now it's going to overreact the other way. And that... That Unfortunately, that area of uh, you know taking a tour in D.C. is going to have a completely different look probably forever. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, it's going to go back to that post-9-11 feel. Or get in line! Three at a time! First time look I, straight ahead! First time I ever went to Washington, D.C., I didn't know my way around very well. I'm driving around, I'm thinking, where's the White House? You know, this is when you got a map in your lap and everything like that. And I'm driving down the road, like, oh, geez, it's right there! I'm right in front of the White House. Mm-hmm. Well, then Oklahoma City happened. Can't drive down that road anymore. That's blocked off. Then uh, And then I remember also going to the Capitol building, and I was amazed. The freaking Capitol of the United States, and I'm standing up there. I didn't want to walk in the flower bed, but I thought, wow, you can just, like, look in the windows. I was right <laughs> up at their building, and you if I, if I wanted to walk through this landscaping, I could just peer through this window. Well, then 9-11 happened, and, of course, you can't get that close now. And now after this, you'll see these buildings from a distance. You're probably better off looking at a postcard. Yeah, the people's house in theory. It's a shame. It's a crying shame. What are we? What are we, oh, oh, are we past that time? I yeah, we're, we were, we're the, late. I thought we were on the next break. That uh, happens to me sometimes. No, I thought we were on the next break, and then I can go home. I can't go home. No, one more you're, segment, you're Jack. One I, more. You're telling me I can't go home. Well, you can go home in about 15 minutes. <laughs> oh man, Armstrong and Getty. The Dominion Voting Machine Company, which had a good reputation, I guess, uh, before, probably doesn't have a good reputation now because Trump's lawyer, Sidney Powell, has been claiming they're uh, all kinds of fraudulent and everything like that. Well, they just sued her for $1.3 billion for damaging their reputation. Well, she was claiming they were working with everybody from George Soros to the Venezuelan intelligence agencies. Ties to Hugo Chavez. <laughs> Never proved any of it, by the way. A hell of a lot of our listeners believed it, too, because it seemed to be coming from an authoritative source. And they sent us, guys, are you kidding? This Dominion voting machine, haven't you heard about it? How they switched this out, and then they removed that, and it was all made up, folks. I doubt her pockets are that deep, but it would certainly send a message that you can't just say anything about any company. Um, The great Tommy Lasorda has passed. Dodger for life, like over 70 years in the Dodger organization. When I was a kid, he was so much fun. I was never a Dodger fan as a kid, uh, but uh, he was always fun. Oh, you had to love Tommy Lasorda. Though. Sure. What's not to like? 
Oh yeah, he'd go on the Tonight Show and be funny and everything like that. But every once in a while, he'd lose his temper. Was it? What is? What is this particular clip? Is this the post game? That's what. That's when this occurs, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, he gets into a post game conversation with the reporters. I think that is very, very bad for that man to make an accusation like that. That is terrible. I have never, ever, that man has ever told a picture to throw at anybody, nor will I ever. And if I ever did, I certainly wouldn't make him throw at a 130 hitter like a Fay or a Bakwa who could hit water if he fell out of a boat. And I guarantee to you this, when I pitched, and I was going to pitch against a team that had guys on it like Bavacqua, I sent a limousine to get the to make sure he was in the lineup because I kicked that bad any day in a week. He's a big mouth, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you can hear the reporters cracking up. Yeah, I'm told that... Uh... Bavacqua says, times. "It's still funny." Bavacqua said, "They got to find that fat little Italian for throwing at me." God, that's Bavacqua. That's some great baseball and talk. He, Kurt Bavacqua of the, the the Padres for years and years. And Lasorda's basically saying, "You're terrible. I'm not going to throw at you. I want you in the line." Yeah, swing and miss, chump. <laughs> I hear Bavacqua. a blank and blanker like that. I'll send a limousine to make sure he makes it to the blanket ball field. <laughs> Oh, I love the great. rate that it picks up. Right, it starts yeah. very calm, very calm, and by it's, the end, it's just like somebody flatlining on a on a on a ER table. <laughs> beep, beep. Oh, oh, go ahead, it's short. Can we hear that? The whole thing. I think that is very, very bad for that man to make an accusation like that. Very reasonable so far. I have never, ever, I've managed ever told a pitcher to throw at anybody, nor will I ever. And if I ever did. I certainly wouldn't make him throw at a 130 hitter like a Fay or a Bakwa who could hit water if he fell out of a boat. Uh-huh. And I guarantee you this, when I pitched, and I was going to pitch against a team that had guys on it like a Bakwa, I sent a limousine to get the to make sure he was in the lineup because I kicked that bad any day in a week. He's a big mouth, I'll tell you that. The reporter's <laughs> laughing is the best part. Babakwa. <laughs> he uses the guy's name like it's the F word. As an epithet. <laughs> Bakwa. Babakwa. <laughs> hey, kids. It's that time again. With Armstrong and Getty. Here is your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the most exhausting week of my life. Uh, Michelangelo is pressing the buttons in the control room. Michael, final thought? Yeah, just rest in peace, Tommy Lasorda. You were like Don Rickles as a baseball manager, and I remember him doing Nutrisystem diet commercials. I don't know if you remember doing that. Certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Diet it's a fine weight loss method as well. Uh, Positive <laughs> Sean is our producer. A final thought? Hey, remember the Georgia runoff? That was four days ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got another good one for you. You remember the Trump phone call? That was five days ago. That was this week. Uh, the phone call? That's the, what we the, led the week with. Who did he call for what? The, the Georgia State. Yes. I've already forgotten. <laughs> oh, that's right. This, this is the Secretary of State. It's the biggest scandal in the nation five days ago. <laughs> My final thought is, I don't have many regrets. I try to just move on, but I do now regret that I did not at any point in my life anger or annoy Tommy Lasorda enough 
that he would unleash a string of epithets toward me because that would have been one. one of the highlights of my life. And Blank and Getty. <laughs> Little Blank and Blanker like him. I'd send him a Blank and Limousine. <laughs> Couldn't talk his way out of a <laughs> Blank and Blanker. Yeah, good stuff. We we said we've been saying for years that the pace is just it's got to slow down, and you know everybody had the unrealistic expectation that the the turning of the calendar for some reason meant something was going to be different. We've been back for one week, and this was right. one of the craziest weeks as a news cycle ever. Yeah, and final final thought. I heard a couple of sports guys talking on a sports talk show about should we even be playing sports right now? That's so troubled these times. I'm like, yes. Oh yeah. Yes, we need something other than politics. Oh yeah, I'm hungering for other things. Yep. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. Go to Armstrongandgetty.com. We all those tapes we play, that incredible Oregon stuff. Oh, you gotta send it to your friends. It's at Armstrongandgetty.com. We will see you on Monday. Who the heck knows what will be going on? God bless America. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from not planning, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven. Still doing this show. See you some other time. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty.